to Word in the World, language podcast. We're here today with Dr. Anna Leon Davra. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anna Leon. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. So Dr. Leon is an associate professor of Spanish at Salem College and is also affiliated with the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Wake Forest University. Dr. Leon has taught several graduate courses and held panel discussions about Latinx identity and its use in academia and in the vernacular. She has also directed several theses on issues pertaining to the Hispanic community in the U.S. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a word that addresses the transformational shift in how Latinos define themselves. Through the lens of factors like geography, language, gender, and social norms, this word can be controversial, depending on who you speak to, and that word is Latinx. Perhaps you've seen the word, used the word, or apply it as part of your identity. Perhaps you have never even heard of this word and just want to understand what it means and where and why it is used. Today, Dr. Leon will discuss decoding Latinx, which will address topics related to the multicultural, multi-ethnic composition of the U.S. Latinx community, questions on bilingualism, and some aspects related to migration, transculturation, and adaptation. So without any further ado, let's get started. So, Dr. Leon, let's start with the definition for our listeners of what Latinx is. Would you would you mind defining that word for us? <laughs> sure. I believe that's why I'm here today, right? Absolutely. Latinx is an alternative term to the traditional Latino, which has the gender marking of masculine in Spanish, and Latina, which is the feminine version, in an attempt to foster gender inclusivity and to erase the gender binary markers and to be more inclusive of non-binary gender non-conforming identities within the Latinx community. Okay. Um, so I recently read an article where Mark Hugo Lopez said about the word, Latinx fits within our broader history, and I quote, in the U.S. of using various terms to describe our, our identity. It is pan-ethnic, like Hispanic, and political in a sense like Chicano. So Dr. Leon, do you agree with this quote? If so, mm. how? Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that quote, and particularly with the terms that you mentioned, pan-ethnic and political. First of all, pan-ethnic, because when you address the topic of Latinx, you need to think of a, of a very heterogeneous community, not a uniform, homogeneous one. A popular, albeit erroneous, idea is the idea of a Latino culture or a Hispanic culture. There is not one single culture. We are talking about a multifaceted composition of different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different traditions. And in the same manner, Latinx is definitely a political stance for inclusivity, visibility, and representation. 
yeah, those distinction, distinctions are important for sure. So tell us a little bit, how did you come, come up with the idea of designing and teaching a class on Latinx? Well, it's funny. It's funny because prior to that, my research and my teaching have always been focused on peninsular studies and European art and literature. But fortunately for me, I happen to have a wonderful student population at Salem College made of a great number of students who identify themselves as Hispanic, Latino, heritage speakers, and who wanted to learn more about their own identities of being part of the American culture, but also of the culture of their Hispanic families. So by talking to them and exchanging ideas with them, I realized that there was nothing in our curriculum that specifically addressed that population. Of course, we do have courses on Latin American studies, on Peninsular studies, specific courses on Chicano studies, but most colleges and universities, they don't commonly have courses that address the Latinx community as, as a whole, embracing all the nuances, all the idiosyncrasies of such a complex community, including, but not limited to, bilingualism. Thankfully, more and more institutions now are creating courses around this topic, which is essential to bring visibility, to understand the composition and the history of this country, because let's not forget that the Latinx community is part of this country. Absolutely. Therefore, after talking to my students, I decided to work on designing a course that would shed light on all the different angles and perspectives that are contained within the term Latinx, not just for my Latinx students, but to educate any other student. And then I was super fortunate to be invited by the former chair of the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Wake Forest University, Dr. Vanda Bozzano, who I really want to thank here because she has always been extremely supportive of the Latinx community. And she invited me to teach two graduate seminars about the topic at Wake Forest University. That sounds like a fantastic course. I would love to take that. I would love to have you in my class too. Oh, well, <laughs> Thank you. So I'm going to have to jump on that. Um, so explain to us a little bit, if I did take that class, or what, what can your students, what would they learn in, in a course such as this that you teach? What could they expect to take away from, from this uh, course? Well... The syllabus tries to tackle a lot of different questions that we need to embrace in a global and interdisciplinary perspective because Latinx raises a lot of questions about cultural identities, gender identities, sexual identities, national origins, border studies, migration studies, bilingualism, different personal experiences. So it is a very complex subject. So I try to tackle all of these questions by offering some readings on cultural studies. I also created, I think this is very practical, a glossary of migratory terms to discuss issues related to different types of migrations, different catalysts for migratory movements, and about the latest immigration reforms done by the government, which in turn affect personally some of my students and their families. And... We also discuss the concept of transculturation, which is a term coined for the first time 
by Cuban anthropologist Fernando Ortiz. And he tried to define the process of cultural transference from one culture to the next. And this is something that is usually experienced by the first generation of immigrants. And then there is another process that is called acculturation, when the family's culture gets erased by the most powerful prevailing second culture. And this is usually experienced by the second generation of the, the offspring of these immigrants, right? So, for example, children of Hispanic descent that are only using English or decide just to stop using Spanish because they don't want to be othered by their friends or by their classmates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, let me remember, I mean, there's so much information. We read testimonies in narratives and in poems. And the selection that I made of readings for this class tries to aim at diversity and inclusion, obviously within our time constraints, because within one semester we don't have time to read everybody. But we read, for example, some Cuban-American authors, Dominican, Puerto Rican, Chicano, Afro-Latinx, poems, the spoken word. And we read about the construction of self-identities and sexual identities, uh, for example, through the experience of a John Eurekan queer feminist female character in a novel called Juliet Takes a Breath by Gabby Rivera. Or we learn about the violence suffered by transgender member members of the Latinx community in a poem titled Sometimes We Are Invisible by Emmanuel Xavier. So I try to dissect many different layers of intersectional identities here to show my students that there are many different angles that we need to learn about the community. We also discuss questions pertaining to bilingualism, obviously. Mm -hmm. and, and we do that from a scientifically linguistic approach, not just like anything, but a very um, terminological aspect, very accurate aspect. And uh, we, of course, we learn about wonderful cultural contributions of the Latinx community to this country. We learn about successful stories, about Latinx role models in our society we learn about art, we learn about music, we learn about film. So, you know, I try to make it a very interdisciplinary course. Well, it sounds like, uh, sounds very interdisciplinary. I, like I said, I would, I'd love to take that uh, course. Um, it sounds very complete and complex. And like you said earlier, uh, to try to get that amount of information in one semester, um, Sounds like a feat. <laughs> it is. Well, it's interesting. It's very eye-opening for the students. They identify themselves and they and they are really happy to discover many things that they didn't know about. So I try my best. So what is the, what is the population of uh, students that normally sign up for that class? Hispanic? Um, do you have a mixture of uh, white students that, that sign up for that class? I have a little bit of everything. Um... The vast majority are uh, students that identify as Hispanic or Latinx students, and they want to learn a little bit more about themselves. Most of them confess that they had absolutely no idea what Latinx means exactly. or, or how it came out to be. And they're like, oh, it's that. Oh, I understand now. That's very interesting. Uh, but I also have a lot of white students, and I do have a lot of 
different parts of the you know the 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 college population so right. i have a, a, a very good mix here to be honest yeah well that's good to hear um so you spoke a little bit about bilingualism mm -hmm. um as a spanish professor um what is your take on the use of um spanglish i love spanglish i love spanglish glad to hear it <laughs> There, you know that there are many different expressions of bilingualism. Spanglish is just one of them, and Spanglish, for those who don't know, I'm sure that most people that are listening to this just podcast know. Yeah, but just in it. case, Spanglish consists of coining new words by merging one word in one language, usually in English, and then ending the word with the ending of another language, in this case, Spanish. It could be done the other way around, but I think that the former is more common. For example, the word lanchear, which comes from lunch in English, and then the most abundant ending of verbs in the infinitive in Spanish, which is ar, and it is to have lunch, which in common regular Spanish is almorzar or just simply comer, but in Spanish is Lanchea, right? Then we have code switching, which my students do all the time. And at the beginning, they drove me totally crazy. They are speaking in one language and then they suddenly drop a word in the other language, like speaking in Spanish and then suddenly say something in English. And then we have translanguaging, which is more or less like the same percentage of both languages combined in, in the same speech. So... I have to confess that I came to the United States directly from Spain, uh, where people do not use English commonly in their daily normal communication. And I came as a professor with Spanish. So at the beginning, I was divided about this mixing of two languages. And I was like, uh, are you supposed to do that? No, you have to speak Spanish or you have to speak English, right? Mm -hmm. I was confused. But then I soon realized that this is a natural consequence of the Latinx community being raised and educated in two languages at the same time. Absolutely. And what is more, it is an expression of their hybrid identities and who they are. So bilingualism and all its manifestations, be it in Spanglish or code switching, is just a beautiful expression of liminal identities and from my point of view, like the term Latinx itself, it calls the attention on the erroneous perception that we have in our societies that things always have to be submitted to dichotomies, right? Like it is black or white, it, it has to be female or male, it has to be English or Spanish, it has to be from this country or this other one. We are talking about global society in the 21st century. Absolutely. This doesn't work anymore. So how do I manage this with my students? Well, I believe that there are two different types of assessment that I can do for me as an educator. Mm -hmm. The first one is when I'm teaching a class on Spanish grammar, for example, I am aware that I have to assess my students' excellence in the use of Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I'm teaching another type of course, let's say a cultural studies class, I assess their communication skills, their, their thoughts, their critical thinking, regardless of whether they use English, Spanish, or both at the same time. And I think that is fair. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. 
That's a that's a great realization that you had coming from Spain when you mentioned um, about the the code switching and how at first you were like, what you know, this is interesting. We need to we need to have a pure Spanish, and and then you went and transitioned and made your assessments reflect that that awareness. Um, as you know, I teach Spanish in high school, and um, you'd be surprised, or maybe not surprised, at the at the Spanish teachers that enforce that uh, pure Spanish notion, right? Code switching is not a part of it, and it, they don't acknowledge that as part of their culture. So I applaud you. That's that's an amazing thing. Well, thank you. I, I do believe that. First of all, I, I do not believe in prescriptive grammar, mm-hmm. prescriptive linguistic approaches. Mm-hmm. That is on 1970s, by the way. <laughs> and on top of that, the world is changing. So language is, is a live entity. We, we really need to realize that it is the speakers who make the language, not the academics or the scholars who impose. So... We just need to see what's going on, describe it and understand it and adopt it in order to better achieve academic excellence. And that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know if I'm successful, but but that's what I'm trying to do. Did you hear that? R-A-E. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you feel, though, um, that the word Latinx and Spanglish, et cetera, do you feel it erases the identities and culture of those who choose to adapt the use of this word? Um, some say... Uh, in my readings, it's artificial Spanish. You know, like a couple of quotes that I came across in some of my readings are, um, and I quote, if you advocate for the erasure of gender in Spanish, then you are advocating for the erasure of Spanish. And some even go as far as calling it linguistic imperialism. Mm -hmm. How would you go about addressing those statements from the naysayers? Well, first... First of all, I think that what they mean by erasing their culture, they mean erasing one of their cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, Spanish, I guess, because Latinx sounds like English and the exophoneme is more common in English than in Spanish. And I totally understand the objections for the use of Latinx. Um one thing that people need to think about is that right now there is no perfect term or no perfect solution for this. Some people have suggested, for example, in, instead of Latinx, other alternatives like the use of the ending in E, like Latine, uh, which is a more neutral ending in Spanish. Or some people prefer to use the symbol at at the end, Latin at. Although this is not very feasible in a verbal form of communication. Yeah, I use it in my classroom, my students, in writing. In ad, ri- yeah, it works symbol. in writing, but yeah. it is not very feasible when you are talking. Yeah. But the idea, what matters to me is the idea behind the proposal, the initiative of using Latinx or any other term. I don't believe the, the supporters of Latinx defend the use of uh, or or try to enforce the use of the X when speaking Spanish. That would be obviously unnatural. That would be very difficult. People would oppose to that because it doesn't sound natural. But what matters is that the term is raising awareness on an impending need for a more inclusive society that abandons once and for all the binary 
labels and constructs that exclude other members of our community mm -hmm. that don't feel themselves represented and feeding in these dichotomies that we create. Absolutely. That's, that's important to remember um, that we're erasing those, those, those boundaries, right? And it's a, a raising awareness uh, first and foremost. Uh, so Dr. Leon, um, I want to thank you for uh, thank you. Thank your you. valuable time and answering a few questions about a topic that we could probably speak for three hours on. Oh, um, or more. Or more. <laughs> or days or months. I or would love we could to, all but... just sign up for your wonderful course. Yes, please. And uh, learn more. So um, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. You're listening to What in the World Language Podcast.